part of being a leader is you're able to put pieces together that maybe not everybody else quite has yet. And now your role is to bring people along on that journey. One of the pieces of advice that I got that I now really try to adhere to is create what you want to be known for three years from now. How do you navigate change? It's a question we think about often and one that today's world expects us to be comfortable with. The challenge, however, is where do you begin and how do you develop the mindset and skill set to be successful? Welcome everyone to the Sprint to Success with Design Thinking podcast. I'm your host, Saba Kidwai. Join me each week as I share the stories and strategies from the world's leading researchers and practitioners about why they believe the answer lies in practicing design thinking. One of my favorite books around design thinking is called Creative Confidence by Tom Kelly. And what he means by creative confidence is it's the combination of thought and action. It's our ability to not only come up with new ideas, but also have the courage to try them out. This week, it was my pleasure to join Jennifer Watson, who is the social media manager at Agora Pulse, for an interview around the ideas of how we can use design thinking to help leaders build their social influence through telling stories. Telling stories online can often seem daunting. Picking up a camera and recording ourselves can often feel daunting. Knowing what to share, what not to share, how to share can feel overwhelming. This week, I'm sharing lots of tips and lots of strategies about how to use design thinking to think about your role as a leader, to empower others to take on and embrace and enhance and develop their creative confidence through the power of online stories. I hope you enjoy this episode with me being on the other side of the interview, and I look forward to hearing all of your thoughts and questions. Hi, everyone. Happy Tuesday, and I'm so excited you're joining us for our Lunch and Learn series. This is now a monthly series, and I have a very special guest here joining me. Actually, I'm so pumped to have her. She's brilliant, she's smart, she's a doctor, and she's gonna help us with our design thinking and storytelling. So this is Dr. Saba Kidwai. She believes that cultures of innovation begin with a culture of empathy. She works with leaders to integrate design thinking practices that encourage creativity, recognize accomplishments, build trust, and inspire a collective vision. In 2018, the World Economic Forum identified leadership and social influence as a trending skill. Saba shares how leveraging stories across social media platforms can empower leaders as role models for the beliefs and values they want to see others adapt as they believe that their audience is able to rise to the occasion. Now, she is a graduate of the Global Executive ED Program at the University of Southern California. Saba's research focuses on how to design, think, and prepare individuals with the mindset and skills to thrive in a rapidly changing world. Her work is driven by a quote from William Gibson, the future is here. It just isn't evenly distributed, which I love, and I'm going to be asking her about. Uh, But Saba hosts a podcast, Sprint to Success with Design Thinking, where she interviews researchers and practitioners about their stories and strategies for navigating change with design thinking and thriving in today's world. And with that said, I'm so excited that you're here. Yay. Oh, my oh thanks God. for having me. 
surprise. Oh my God. I'm so pumped and I'm so thrilled. And you have such an incredible resume and just your education and the fact that you were a teacher, a high school teacher for 10 years. I would just love to know, first of all, how you got to where you are today and what drives your passion for storytelling and what you do. Yeah. Um, so first of all, thanks so much for having me. I think one of the things that I've realized, you know, just kind of in reflecting is one of the themes I think I've carried throughout my journey is a passion for the social sciences and just a passion for people and how just they interact with societies and how we respond to change. And so, you know, like you mentioned, I started my journey as a history teacher. And one of my favorite quotes from one of my professors was this idea that history is a dialogue between the past and the present. It's not about the history of people. It's about the history of peoples. And so, so just having spent 10 years in the classroom with students talking about different people's stories through different events and through different times in history, I think is what shapes a lot of my passion for storytelling. Um, I think alongside that, on a more personal note, my dad was really into documenting our entire lives with like this really big video camera he used to like carry over <laughs> his shoulder to then like we know when to like smaller camcorders that I think we just grew up around the importance and like the joy that comes from reflecting on those memories when you sort of like document your experiences. And so, you know, fast forward a few years, I think just taking that concept of stories and that concept of just how people interact with the world around them is what drives a lot of the work that I do today in helping people sort of develop the mindset and skill set to just navigate change in the environments around them. And where stories, I think, plays a really critical role in that is I remember one of the comments I used to get over and over and over from people when I would like show something or show how I was using a tool is, oh, that's it. Or, oh, I think I could try that too. And so it just, stories just, I feel like in general, just really create a sense of empowerment. Oh my gosh. And I couldn't agree more. I love that. And you've got Brian Fanzo in the house and he's just like, you're a rock star. You guys are in for a treat. We met on Snapchat five years ago and I've looked up to her ever since, which is so true, which is the reason why you're on this show. Because I was like, Brian, I'm, I need someone that's powerful and so brilliant and someone that we haven't had before. And so, because it's easy within your you're in the same pool kind of, of of leaders and speakers, but I wanted out of the box thinkers, someone that will, you know, allow people and uh, our strategies and everything to evolve into something we never even thought possible. So um, I love that. And I'm so excited to just like geek out with you and hear more about your dissertation. And so your work is driven by William Gibson's quote, the future is here. It just isn't evenly distributed. I would love for you to go in depth a little bit about your doctoral dissertation and why you focused on the subject, the topic that you did and what you learned from it and, you know, what inspired you to even do it. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I have to give a shout out to Brian because he's, I think, what really inspired a lot of my journey in social media and just kind of learning more and just becoming a part of this audience, which has shaped a lot of my work. And one of the things that that quote in particular reminds me of is actually a conversation I had with Brian a few weeks ago on the podcast, and that is just the evolution of people's journeys. That quote resonates with me so deeply because when I think back, so I graduated um, 
my like teaching credential program in 2008. And that was a time of the recession. And anybody who's familiar with what educators went through at that time, it was awful. You know, it was like layoff notice after layoff notice. And I remember reading the book um, by Thomas Friedman, the um, Thank You for Being Late where he talks about all the different technologies that were emerging and all the different opportunities that were emerging in 2007. And I read that one about maybe two, three years ago. So about like a decade after 2007. And I just remember thinking, wow, like how might my life have been different if I had had teachers and professors who had been talking about those emerging technologies and the role that that was going to have on like me as a new graduate going into the world of work. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about the future, we almost talk about it as if it doesn't exist. We talk about a lot of things as if they're going to come. Whereas you look around the world and you realize, wait a minute, there's already people doing this. And so a lot of the work in my dissertation, it was really shaped in 2016 by a talk um, by an author and professor used to be at MIT, now Stanford, Eric Brindolfson. And he used to say that technology doesn't shape our destiny, we shape our destiny. And that really got me sort of down into sort of like finding out more about, okay, well, how do we do those things? And then not just how do we do them, but how do we empower other people to be able to take advantage of opportunities too? And that's where my passion for design thinking emerged because design thinking, what I love about it is, yes, it's a framework for solving problems. You know, you begin with empathy, you ideate, you prototype, you iterate. So that framework, I think, is what it's most commonly known for. But what design thinking also gives you is an underlying set of mindsets as you're working with those problems, like th and things that you hear so commonly, like, oh, it's important to learn from failure. It's important to be comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity, and it's important to have optimism. And what people are always sort of like, yes, we agree with that, but how do we do that? And so there's a school here in San Diego, California. It's a um, kindergarten to eighth grade, and they actually use design thinking to not only create the culture of like the school model that they have, so they don't have your traditional like bell schedule of like, you know, 50 minute periods, their teachers don't work in individual classrooms, they collaborate together, and just the way they go about everything is through design thinking. And they're a public school. So they're not a private school or like a charter or an independent. And that was really important to me when I was looking at, okay, how do I want to share an example of how this can be possible? I didn't want to take like something that people might look at and think, well, they're able to do this because they have this much money to be able to do this. This is like, this isn't about money. This is about our time and commitment to people and how we can change our systems when we do invest in them. Oh my gosh, I love that. So we actually have a really close friend in San Diego and she's been, she tried really hard to get her daughter into a school. I don't know if this is the same school you're talking about, which I'm going to have to ask her after the show. I was just messaging with her actually right before the show, but, um, and I'm not sure if it's private or public, but she actually did finally get in, but there was like a waiting list and everything else. So I'm not quite sure what it is, but that sounds like it was an out-of-box thinking type school. She didn't want to bring her daughter to a, a typical, uh, not that those schools are bad or anything, but she wanted to expose her to something different and unique. 
So um, I love that. That's so I'm awesome. so curious now. San Diego has like something in their air. Like they just, they have so many different school models that you can choose from. And a lot of which are like public or charter. So they're like accessible, but sometimes there's a waiting list and whatnot. But yeah, they have so many just really intriguing models for what's possible. Oh my God, they really do. And I love that. And even thinking about my daughter, who's three, because we have some around Atlanta, Georgia, like science focused, because, you know, I'm, I'm a meteorologist and science geek. Um, but, you know, I'm just like, what can I do to like give her a different experience? You know, not that my education, because I went to public schools was bad, but, um, you know, what, what can be different? So I love that. And um, one other thing um, you mentioned, and actually this was in your bio, in 2018, the World Economic Forum identified leadership and social influence as a trending skill. How has that motivated your mission even more? I think for so many of us, and I think honestly, for anybody who's listening to this as well, I feel like it's given us, not that we needed it, but I think it's nice to have an organization like that give that validation on a top 10 list. I mean, I just think that's huge. I think for a lot of leaders and a lot of people that you're working with in that category, they tend to write it off sometimes like, oh, that's just people sharing, you know, what they're doing or it's pretentious or, you know, I don't really see the why I should be on there. And they just don't see it from like a leadership perspective or how it can be that empowering element. And so yeah. to me, I think what it's done is it's really opened up the door to conversations. What does that even like? Why have they grouped them together? That's one of the most fascinating conversations I like to have, first of all, with people. They could have very easily have put leadership and social influence as two separate skills, but they don't. They group them. And I think that grouping and the conversation around why they've been grouped together is a really, really fascinating one to dig into, to get people to think about what does being a leader actually mean in today's day and age? Um, and, you know, one of my favorite definitions lately I pull from um, the research of Northgrass is that idea that, you know, transformational leaders encourage creativity. They help people take risks. They inspire a collective vision. And those are all things that people say they want to do. And so then this kind of allows us to explore an avenue of, okay, well, how might your social influence allow you then to be able to do those things that you aspire to do? So I think it just, just that those two words grouped together have just opened the door to just some incredible conversations. And I love that because you help leaders and you help coach people on how to do that and how design thinking and storytelling can help with the influence that they're trying to do. And especially during this time, I feel like, you know, we're all on the same playing field. And we had a guest on here, um, the co-founder of Square, um, was talking about the fact that, you know, um, we're now more open than ever before to new ideas, to trying new things. Like if you want to start something or do something, start now, like try it now, because we're in this weird world, this weird mindset that it's just like before we're just, you know, like clockwork, we're routine. We know this, we know this, but now we're just like, all right, you know, the world's kind of crazy right now. Let's just try this. You know, like I'm more apt to trying something. So I, I love that. And I think it's like, it's so beyond fascinating. And one of the things is you focus on this design thinking and how it can prepare individuals with the mindset and skills to thrive in a rapidly changing world, which we're basically in, um, which couldn't be more perfect. 
Um, but how have you altered your strategy and helped others, especially during what's going on right now um, and during this past year and even continuing into 2021? How are you altering what you do um, and have you altered it at all? Because I know you're already out of the box design thinking anyway. I don't know that I would say it's as much about altering strategy. I think what's been altered is people's willingness to go deeper. And I think you highlighted, you know, in what you said, I think you highlighted where people are at so, so, so well, that people are willing, people are open. Everybody believes we need to change. Everybody believes we can do things better. And I think a lot of the talk track as well is around still the why And I think one of the things that I've really made a more purposeful effort on is going into the how. Even in my dissertation work, like, yes, I outline the how. I pull in the research. I pull in what people are saying about the things we need to do. But here's a really tangible way to actually be able to get there. And it's one of the things that I really love about design thinking in general or just those practices is there are so many frameworks that can help you take step one. Whether it's, okay, we're getting together to collaborate for the first time. A lot of times people will just put people in a room together or like now on a Zoom meeting and be like, okay, we're just going to work on this project together. But collaboration requires trust. It requires vulnerability if we're really going to get to the things that at the heart of what we were actually trying to do so that we don't have the conflicts down the line and whatnot. And so I think being able to like now help people dive into those frameworks in a more deeper way because they're ready for it is kind of where I've been at. And you would think that like in an online space, that's so difficult, but I've got to sort of just share one tool here that I think has been such a game changer in my practice. And I know for so many others, and that's Mural. And Mural is basically a digital whiteboard. And they, what I love about them is they actually have all the frameworks embedded within there. So you can literally open up Mural, click on a framework, and begin having that conversation with your team like today, if you wanted to. And they have an incredibly robust community of like support as well for like, okay, here are strategies to try, here are things to do. And so that's been a really big one, getting people to shift the way they work, getting people to think more purposefully about teamwork, about collaboration, about all these things they want to do. Let's start breaking them down with actual tangible frameworks and strategies. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I feel like communication, even when I worked prior at news stations and like our whole job was communicating the news and things to other people. And like we struggled within internally, right? That communication, we're just like, how are we in the communication business? Yet we don't know how to communicate with each other within. So I I think that's huge. And we've got a great comment here. Um, I love the enthusiasm that comes from both of you, which I love that. And one thing with StreamYard, guys, you have to give StreamYard permission to show your comments. So just um, there's a little button that you push when it pops up. So make sure to do that. But I love that. And so, you know, thinking of and, and I'm straying away from the list of questions I have because this has brought me another question. So um, thinking of, OK, you've got teams of people, right? And we're trying to plan right now for 2021. So what are your biggest tips for marketers, for planners, for just making sure we're all on the same page and we continue to do that throughout the year? Because I feel like a lot of different companies will have big meetings, you know, and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this and do that. But then there's no follow up. There's no this and big ideas get lost somehow. So what are your biggest tips for that right now? As everyone's like, okay, we're wrapping up you know, the year and we're trying to really thrive and get things together for 2021. 
Yeah, absolutely. I have two frameworks that I really love for that particular conversation. And one of them um, comes from especially a husband and wife couple, and they call it the all-in method. And I can send you the links. I don't have it on me right now, but it's called the all-in method. And they have a book they just published a while ago called Radical Alignment, How to Have like Game-Changing Conversations. It is a four-box framework and what it does is it tells you to sort of come to the table and like, so for example, our prompt might be, you know, moving into 2021, this is what our focus is going to be. This is what our priority is going to be. What are your intentions? What are your boundaries? What are your concerns? And what are your dreams? And what I love about that is right away out on the table, we get to have people talking about, okay, these are the things I'm really scared of, but these are the things that like, I'm really excited by. And that's where that concept of, you know, cultures of innovation begin with a culture of empathy really comes from. Because if we don't understand what our people are scared of, but also what they're motivated by, it's really hard to design culture and conversations that then support goals. And so yeah. I love, it's such an easy four box framework that you can just, everybody sits around a table, you all fill it out, you all kind of share one by one. And it really allows people to see, wow, we're all dreaming about this. But these are the boundaries we want to set. These are some of our concerns. Let's address those and let's get rid of that fear. Because when we say the things that scare us out loud, we don't give them as much power anymore. We've all experienced that, whether it's personal, professional, doesn't matter. You say what you're thinking out loud and it's like, oh, that really wasn't as big of a deal. And that gives you now an opportunity to sort of, I guess, come together in agreement and then decide how you want to move forward. So that's like one of my favorite like methods. Um, Mural actually has another one called the culture canvas, which is nice. about more like if you're sort of like maybe starting maybe a little bit more like what are our values? What's our purpose? How do we define success? How do we define failure? And just by giving those things definition, again, we're building that alignment and understanding of how we each are thinking about something. Because it could be so different, right? We throw out words all the time, but those words mean such different things to all of us that having that alignment is really critical. I So I love that. And I think everyone right now, because I know we're all, we're in the holiday season, things are busy with our, our different campaigns and everything else, but you know, you need to do that. And I love that. Just taking a moment to sit around like a virtual table or whatever, filling out different things and getting everything out on the table. So I think that's huge for communication. So anyone, if you're, you haven't done that yet or haven't really started planning for 2021, you need to do that now. You need to have that plan set because it's always a runaway train, right? Because January 1st is going to come here. No, it's not going to wait, you know, it's going to come here no matter what. So you want to be prepared and ready and make sure your team is prepared too. Um, and, and one of the things, um, Saba, that you talk about is the fact that you work with leaders in different role models to empower them to tell their stories on social media. How do you like, is there a mapping out um, kind of process that you utilize? You're like, okay, write down these three things. How do you help enable them to tell their stories to increase their influence and help them grow into bigger role models? So one of the things I like to do is start with where people are comfortable. 
a lot of times, you know, people have books that they've published, they have articles that they've published, they have all of these incredible pieces of work. And a lot of times, you know how content is, you know, you publish an article and it goes to like a very select group of people or you publish a book and like not everybody has exposure. Um, And so one of the things that I like to do is start with like, okay, what have you already created? Because that gives us a baseline of what you're passionate about, what you can already speak to and what you're going to be comfortable speaking to. And from there, a lot of times, you know, it's so interesting and such a good reminder to all of us that what's easy for some people is really, really challenging for other people. Um, So just, I think having, again, that lens of empathy is really important because for some people just being like, oh yeah, just go record yourself and just go say this and just jump on a video is a really, really, really daunting task for so many. So sometimes what we'll do is like kind of assess like where are people comfortable and what might that scaffolding look like? So it might start with, how to create an image from about a quote from your book, and then maybe go on and say something for 10 seconds that provides context. Because one of the things that we talk about is the relationship between the impact that you want to make with the work and the content you're creating and how you might do that through different platforms and through different methods. And so that's sort of like one of the first places I like to start. Um, And then from there, giving people like really tangible strategies, create a story around this. Let's do four stories, 15 seconds each, and let's put them on this platform, this platform, this platform, and then let's reassess. Let's try that out for a little while and then kind of go from there. But a lot of it, like I said, just to kind of sum up, it's really about taking their core values and things that they're hoping to do and achieve and then showing them how there are other avenues for doing that exact work. I love that. And so basically the tips from what you just said for anyone out there that's just like, I'm stuck. I'm just not sure where to go, how to tell my story. And I think some people think their story may be inferior. Like, why would someone care? Why would someone want to know? Um, what do you tell different leaders and people that you talk to that are like, well, my you know background isn't that interesting. You know, my childhood wasn't you know wild with all sorts of things happening. How do you help people be like, you know, what your story does matter and can really help people connect with you? So one of the first things I'll always try to do is myself find a piece of content that really, um, that, that they've created. A lot of times people also, it's really fascinating. You know, we've all experienced this as well. When we put something out to us, it's really no big deal. It's how we think it's how we process. Like we just wrote that, you know, like no big deal, but to somebody else, it's life-changing. And I think reminding people, like sometimes like People like, and I've seen like really big authors, like really, really big authors be like, oh, really? Like, I can't believe you read that. Or wow, I can't believe you remember that. Um, It's it's shocking to people like sometimes. So sometimes really helping people see the value sometimes in the work that they're producing is a really, really important first step. And then sometimes it's honestly even something as much as like, here, I'll create one for you. You know, let's tag team this. I'll create this part. You create another part. I was actually just working with somebody the other day and they had published an article back in 2007. And it was around this idea of trust and vulnerability. And they had done such a beautiful job of breaking down the word trust into four elements. And they had this beautiful like periodic table that the element like images that are like that. They basically took each of those four areas that they had broken down and created this graphic that made it look like the four elements of trust. And I was like, you realize you could screenshot that and do a 15 second on each one and you're done. And they were like, really? And I was like, yes, like this is an amazing article. Yes, it's 2007. But it's so interesting how a lot of the work 
um, that people have been publishing over the last decade is so relevant today and sometimes really needed today as well. So sometimes also ideas that are older to us um, are really, really new to a lot of people, especially right now. I think that's so key. I love the last part that you said, older ideas to us may be new um, and different to other people. And so, and, and even taking that note, because I, I love what you said is maybe go back if you're at a loss, because content creation is a struggle for, for many of us um, across the board, whether you're a social media marketer or anything else. And, and when you're trying to grow your leadership. And so taking a look back at the content that you've already created and maybe livening it up a little bit, refreshing it, um, and you know, putting it back out there and taking things that are still evergreen and relevant right now is huge. Like I love that. And I think people are like, I have to create more and more new content all the time. You don't necessarily have to. Maybe you can find some content that you've already done and go deeper into it, take a deep dive into it that you Absolutely. haven't gone through. Yeah. I, I, when I first started keynoting a couple of years ago, I used to study keynote speakers, like all of my favorite ones. I would watch their every YouTube video. I would read their every article and I would like just try to learn like strategies from people that like I admired. And the one thing I realized over and over and over, and you'll realize it, like if you haven't realized it before, like now you will, people say the same thing over and over and over and over. They maybe have two or three versions of it based on if it's like, like for example, like Guy Kawasaki is like my idol for like keynote speaking and just like speaking and writing in general. He has like three versions. He's got like the business version, he's got the education version, and then he's got like one more that he can like kind of adapt. But it's this almost like a very similar message all the time. But if he, can you imagine if he was like, oh, I gave that talk so many times, who needs it now? Like, no, there's still so many people that like need to hear that message now. And so you never know when an idea is going to resonate with someone. I think it takes a long time when you're in our kind of roles and you're, especially when you're talking around anything change related or new related. I feel like it takes years sometimes for a message to come across. And so that consistency, I think, is really, really important. Not, I think sometimes, you know, it's interesting saying this out loud. A lot of times when we hear you've got to be consistent with content, we think yeah. it has to be new content that we're constantly producing. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's be consistent with your message that you're trying to get across and how many different ways maybe can you say it or show it. Um, and that's, I think, what helps people. Saba, I love that so much because consistency is a huge thing you hear all the marketers, everyone speaking about, but it doesn't always have to be consistently new content, which I love that you said consistency because that's what was going on in my head. I'm like consistency, but it's your being consistent with your message, which is so important. Like um, one of Brian's is uh, press the damn button, you know, just do it, just go yeah. for it, um, you know? And so I, I love that so much. And I think a lot of people need to hear that because you're maybe worn out or burnout on just trying to create new and new content, but this will redesign their thinking into being like, well, wait a minute, let me figure out different ways how I can still get my message across, uh, but not necessarily tell the exact same story that I've been telling. So right. I love that. It's so important. And you have an amazingly successful podcast as well. You host the Sprint to Success with Design Thinking podcast. And I would love to know, um, because having an interview show, like I'm interviewing you right now, like that light bulb moment, what you just talked about with consistency, but doesn't always have to be consistently new content is like, you know, there's all these like new things. I'm like, holy crap, that's right. Like I needed to hear that even. So what are some of the most powerful moments that you've had on your podcast? 
where you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. So first of all, it's exactly what you said. I think that light bulb moment is, you know how like there's, there's those things that you don't believe it until you experience it, but you can't experience it until you believe it. I feel like that learning that comes from doing a live interview like this, from doing a podcast, from engaging in stories. I always tell people, I think it's great that other people can benefit from my podcast and I hope people do, but I benefit from it so much that that is like enough reward for me, like all in and of itself. Just the process, like every time I message somebody, I'm like always a little bit nervous. Are they going to, you know, am I ready to interview that person? Like, should I wait longer? Should I be more established? And every single time I read somebody's response, it's like that reinforcement of just how wonderful today's world is and just how many incredible opportunities exist if you're willing to just, you know, like Brian says, like press that damn button or just like put yourself out there and just take a little bit of that risk. So that would be the first one. It has been the most phenomenal learning experience for me. And then I would say the second really big one is I told you about that author in the very beginning that I was like listening to at a conference on a YouTube video back in 2016 fast forward now we like we're able to interact a little bit on twitter and now i'm interviewing him in january it's something i like still can't even totally wrap my head around the idea that you know we used to live in a world where you just read about people or you just read their books but the idea that now you can actually have a conversation with those people develop a relationship and then even like you know be in a place where you like interview them for something is i think just phenomenal and so i think just the act of doing it itself models, I think, especially for young people, because that's sort of like, you know, the space in my audience, but models for young people, what is possible today. And I think we highlight so many of the negative aspects of technology, of social media, especially, but the positives in my mind are always reinforced every time I interview somebody or I join somebody else in a conversation. Um, so yeah, and then I think just from a networking perspective, I mean, it's such a great way to provide value just not to yourself, but to others as well. Like you, I have yet to meet somebody who does not want to share their story. And I think that's the other really big thing I've learned as well. Like it doesn't matter who you are. I think just as human beings, we enjoy telling not only our stories, but the stories of things that matter to us as well. And I think like going back to like way back in history, human history, we told stories, you know, that's how we shared history. And you remember a story so much more um, than anything else. You know, you're just like, wow, because you get the emotion, how it made you feel. I mean, it's all sorts of different sensories going on in your brain, let alone just getting like hearing this, like a, a topic or whatever. So um, yeah. I love that so much. Talk about and consistency, right? Like stories are like the one consistent thing we share. It's just for through all people, like not even like for a particular group of people, but like literally humanity as a whole shares storytelling as a shared value. It is. And it's one of those things like even like my parents, you know, they're getting older and I'm just like, I got to videotape them telling stories from like when they were little kids and stuff like that. Like I have to do it. And when my dad or someone, if we go for a walk and he tells me a story, it's just so much more powerful. So, I mean, I love that so much. And um, Mike said, yes, be consistent with your message, which yes, like I feel like everyone just needed to hear that, which is so true. And um, Brian just uh, pitched in. He said, nobody has ever said they've heard too many powerful stories. This is very, very true. Um, and so with that said, um, Saba, 
how do you envision as we're going into the future? And I know at the end of 2019, everyone's like, it's a new decade. It's going to be it's so crazy and interesting. And now with everything that's happened this year, you know, I feel like more than anything, everyone's more welcoming, um, empathetic, um, loving toward everyone and caring. How do you envision social media and its influence on people and in marketing in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is a, this is such an interesting question, I think, for right now. But tie it into a couple of things that I think of when doing this work and what I hope for. Um, one of the reasons I love design thinking is because instead of saying this is what everyone should do, it forces you to look at your community, which may be your school, your office, even if you're part of a larger corporation, your office. It really forces you to sort of like narrow in. And what it really forces you to do is say, within my group, what do people need? What are our struggles? And how can we address challenges and provide opportunities? If we try to have, we need overarching policies, absolutely. But the only way I think we're really going to build back for what people need, because it's so different across the board, is by zoning in and really narrowing in. So that's one of the first things that I always think about when I think about like the role of social media. And the second part of that is, okay, if we're going to make that impact and we've identified these needs and what needs to happen, or we've identified challenges and opportunities, what can local businesses and organizations now do to support those efforts? And so I think one of the things that we've seen a lot of businesses have to take on through their social media platforms is almost like this like social dialogue where they're balancing like their customers, what's happening in the country alongside their business. I think it's forced a lot of people to ask themselves, what are our values? What do we believe in? Who do we want to align with? And that's what that alignment of values does for you is it allows you to then make those decisions about, okay, who do we want to be involved with? Um, how do we want to present something? How do we want to share something? And so I think for a lot of people, it's going to be a growth experiment, um, a sort of like introspection in a lot of ways about what do we want to stand for? Yeah, what is our role? Because all of a sudden, these social media platforms, these businesses, have hit, they've had a profound impact, I think, on being able to scale messages, um, both good and bad, right? And I think that that's sort of like another thing, lens that we look at. Like I posted and I shared the other day something I was really thinking deeply about. I, I feel like one of the things I say a lot of my work is, yeah, be creative, create whatever you want, like do whatever you want. But I think we do that sometimes without talking about the ethics behind creation, because you realize you can create for both good and bad. And I think there's like a bias almost that we all believe that people create for good. Like every business idea, every everything is going to be created for good. And I think we've seen that, you know, th there's definitely a spectrum out there. And so I think just that alignment of values is something that I think social media is going to play a tremendous role in. I think if you look at not just alignment of values, but also modeling how it can be used, which I think can be so challenging given the backlash that people face. But there is nobody that teaches you how to have conversations online. Schools definitely aren't doing it. You know, I mean, you may have a handful here and there, but nobody's like, we still haven't really figured out how to scale. Here's how to have a meaningful dialogue online. Here's how to respect different people's opinions and points of views and a lot of that is because, you know, we go through, I think, our schooling years being told things instead yeah. of always having that freedom of dialogue and debate and whatnot. And so 
I, I think I think it's going to be a time of struggle and a time of introspection and a time of being able to define what is possible and the role that so, social can play um, in developing societies, which sounds I, like crazy, but it's they, they, they've been doing it and doing it. I think some people have done it really well. No, and I think it's so important, whether it's you're getting a degree in marketing, right? Or it's even in school, because now you made me think back to my education, you know, even when I was like little, like five or six years old, we never had open, safe conversations with no judgment, where you could ask questions or discuss a topic. How does this make you feel? Like we were always told different things. And I feel like that needs to happen. So people understand how to have meaningful conversations and understand different sides of things, you know, without, you know, offending anyone or just being more empathetic in general. Cause they don't, I feel like we struggle to teach empathy in our schools and just, you know, going through life, you know? And so I think that those are such great tips. Oh my gosh. Um, I have another really good question for you. So, and this was actually a question brought up in a prior live show a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, that's a solid question. So what is the best advice that you've never taken and that you wish you had? Yeah. So the best, I think about this every day, every <laughs> single day. Best advice I have that I never took is sometimes when you're creating something, you spend so much time creating for like in the moment. Um, yeah. Like, oh, this is what I'm doing right now and whatnot. Because sometimes ideas that you're thinking about might not resonate. Like you'll post something, but it might not get the reaction that you hope for. But you believe that it's something that we should talk about. And I think when you're in a leadership role, part of being a leader is you're able to put pieces together that maybe not everybody else quite has yet. And now your role is to bring people along on that journey. And it can sometimes be really lonely, but one of the things that like, I mean, just the article that I published like the other day, like five reasons why you should use stories. I'm not going to get like any, like, I just feel like a lot of people are not ready for that yet. But one of the pieces of advice that I got that I now really try to adhere to is create what you want to be known for three years from now, which can sometimes be hard to predict. But when somebody is ready, like right now, can you imagine like you think of like Brian and his work with virtual events and all the kind of things he's been doing with press the damn button all of a sudden in 2020, now people, now everybody wants it. And yeah. his name is probably what's going to appear at the top of any type of search when you now go to do that kind of, you know, research. So I always say like, now I just try to think about like, okay, what do I want to be known for three years from now? Still create for now, still create for in the moment, but three years from now, what do you want to be sort of like, what do you want to have credibility on and start building content towards that now? That is great advice. And we've got Rhonda in the house. Um, Rhonda, if you have any questions, um, let us know because she said that was a really good question. Yeah. As soon as someone asked that, I was like, that is a fantastic question. So you are, cause you've got your doctorate and about design thinking and storytelling, and you're around a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs. What are some of the top kind of traits that they all encompass and maybe advice you have for up and coming entrepreneurs and social media managers just to, you know, continue to thrive or to be successful? Because I many, I think many can have self-doubt and still think, okay, but my story, does it really matter? Um, you know, what has, have you seen and even you personally, like how do you have drive, persistence and just never give up kind of attitude? 
I think I've noticed three things. One in particular, I'll tell you every single person I've ever interviewed on the podcast has this one thing that comes up and that's curiosity. They just liked something. They thought about trying it and they did. And I feel like that was like when I asked people like, how did your journey begin? Or, you know, like what led you to where you are? There's always a moment where somebody is like, yeah, I was just kind of interested in this. And then I just did this. And you think it's no big deal, but that leap between thinking and doing is so tremendous and so valuable. And so it's such a big leap, but that I have noticed is one consistent story that everybody tells. So that idea of curiosity, they were interested in something, they wanted to try something and they didn't just push it to the back. They followed through on it or they explored it. That was definitely one. I think another big practice people have is networks. I think people who try things, people who do things, do so because they realize they don't have to do it alone and that they don't have to be great at everything. I think that's probably one of the biggest mental blocks that people face is like in wanting to be like, whether it's starting something, they feel like I have to know everything because again, it's another mindset you kind of get from school, right? Like, you know, like I have to be good at everything. Otherwise I'm going to get an AAFFF and that's not okay. Or the idea that only some people are good enough. Like there's only a few number of people that get A's and everybody else, like we're streamlined, right? There's one valedictorian at the end of four years um, and things like that. So I think there's those mindset blocks are things that they have been able to over time and through reflection eliminate. So they don't believe they have to do everything and they rely on a network of people to fill in the gaps for them. And it's, it's, it's a really, it's such a liberating concept when you do adopt it, it's again, one of those things you can't experience it until like you believe it and you won't believe it till you experience it, but it's the most liberating concept in the world. Um, and I think the last area that I see is they're very reflective. They have mindfulness practices or they have some type of reflective mechanism that allows them to see this happened and then this happened. So this, then that, so this, then that. And I think that builds a risk-taking muscle memory. I don't think taking a risk ever becomes easier. I mean, if somebody has a story about how, I'd love to hear it. But every, just my trip going to visit my sister to London, like, yeah. and even after I had done that, just taking another one after that, like my anxiety attacks, like I would wake up the morning, the day of the trip and be like, I'm going to cancel. It's too scary. I shouldn't be going. You let the media fill in your brain and everything, you know, people have said to you. And it happens yeah. anytime you're about to try anything. So I think developing those reflective habits to develop that muscle memory is something they share in common too. Oh, and those are three amazing things, which I'm sure we're going to be using to help promote this after the fact too, just for the rewatching and just to share some of your knowledge. But it's funny because Brian and I went on a trip and I was just like out of country too. And I was just like freaking out. I'm like, do it? Should I not do it? Like, I was just like, I don't know. And it was, we, we made a last minute decision and went and I felt safer than just going to the grocery store or pumpkin Me patch. Too. Me I was too. Like, and I'm like, how is traveling? Like, you know, it's so safe compared to so many other things, especially while well, I'm in Georgia. But anyway, um, think you can do just about anything here. But um, I love that, though. I love that advice. And I have just one kind of final question for you, because uh, you create content, you're a storyteller. What are some of your productivity hacks or special apps that you like to use or different methods, um, as well as content creation hacks? And different apps or tools that you like to use that you just are like, Oh my God, I love this, like Canva or easel or something else. 
I, I mean, I definitely love Canva, but I think just for on the go and mobile, I mean, I know Canva's mobile too, and I, and I love Canva um, because of the variety and all of sort of like, yeah, it's variety, but I love Unfold and Mojo. I think I just live by those two applications. And if I had to pick one, I think I'd probably go with Unfold, um, but I love, love, love the animation and just the design element that they bring to stories because you literally, it, it's like two taps. And now all of a sudden you are unique from everybody else on the platform. And I think it makes, I think visually it makes a difference. Um, you know, I think there's definitely, I also really believe in the element of just like raw in the moment because I think that really resonates with people. But I think sometimes like, a lot of times my stories also, like I didn't talk about this, but like one of the things that my stories for, like I use them a lot for is also my own self-reflection. I learned so much about myself through the creation of my own stories. So for me, it's like more of like a scrapbooking moment as well. Just like I said, like for me, that's how I build my muscle memory. Like I document these moments of what, what, what happened before, during and after. And then when you go back on them, it kind of helps build your confidence when you go to like try and take on something else new. So I think just like the self awareness and just your own creativity that you get to do in that space really helps there. So Unfold and Mojo are like kind of my go-tos. I love Lightroom. Um, there are these two travel bloggers, Jeremy and Angie. Um, it's like Jeremy and Angie presets. And I just love their presets. I love anything that's one tap go. And I then my that. last one would be, I don't know if anybody uses the full focus planner, but the, one of the habits that the full focus planner gave me was identifying like these are the top three like creation things that I have on my list, whatever they may be. And then it asks you at the end of the day, what didn't get accomplished and how do you then adjust your schedule for the next day? And so it just builds this like mental habit of like knowing what you can and can't manage because you know, if I don't finish it, it's going to have to run over to the next day. So you just become more aware of how to sort of manage the number of items on your to-do list. So those are my three. I love that. And I haven't heard of that before. So now I'm going to look into it because I think that's fabulous. Because I think, you know, time management and everything else, especially right now with some of us still working from home with kids and family members and managing their school, like, how does it all work together and still making sure you have time for yourself, right? So it's so crazy. Yeah, I, I worked a couple of times, Saba, like, I don't have my daughter right now. But like, she would be like, I'd have like juice and cookies and whatever. She'd be like sitting right there. And like, there'd be times where she was on my hip interviewing, because like, that's just, you know, it's live show. And that's how it is. And she was really fussy. And it was hard for her as um, an almost three year old, she can communicate what she wants, but she doesn't quite understand mommy's working. So I, I so get that and love that. Um, and Mike shared the unfold.com there as well. So anyone who's interested in that, the Mojo app and everything else, he's getting them all on there. But with that right. said, oh my gosh, Saba, you are amazing. You're so brilliant. Like just Thank this, you. you know, like almost hour with you has been so incredible. Um, do you have any last advice to give just to anyone in everyone as we just end this and as we enter the holiday season and go into 2021. Wow. I would just say the one thing like I wish like we all did right now was really just believe in the opportunities that are available today and within our own sphere of influence, just explore how we empower other people. Like sometimes we think so big, like you know, we're going to change everything and it's so overwhelming. So when you think about just the people around you that you impact, whether it's your family, your friends, people on your network, that ripple effect is so tremendous that I think just helping people see that there's so much good today, more than there is bad, if we embrace that and if we help build towards it, 
I think is one of the most valuable things we can all do for each other today. Oh my gosh, I love it. Oh, that is such good advice. I'm not even going to try and say anything after that. Um, but- <laughs> Thank you so much for this. I had such a great time with you. Oh my God, same here. And you guys follow Saba at Ask Miss Q. Um, that is on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much, um, everyone, for for joining us. We're so excited um, that you are able to be here. And we hope you have amazing holiday season. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. It's your turn to join the conversation by sharing what you enjoyed or what questions you still have. In a world where time and attention are so valuable, thank you for choosing to listen and for being a part of our Sprint to Success with Design Thinking community. 